0: been knocked out. It's over! Mamma He's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Regandau quit! It's Fish Giannottos with Evan Rutkowski. He's good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, September 13th, Canelo Triple G2's Fight Week. There's boxing on Thursday night. I don't even know what happened yet, but it's already happened. I'm going to watch it on my DVR. There's boxing on Friday night, and I'm excited for it, on ESPN. And then there's pay-per-view boxing for, look, it's a really great card on Saturday. It is Canelo Triple G2 Fight Week. This is the Fistianatos Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at Fistianatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at Fistianatos Pod. So much has happened in the last day or two. I was actually going to record last night. But honestly, just with all the news that came out, I had to digest and prep everything. Let's just jump right into it. It was going to be a shorter pod. Now it's going to be a longer pod. Let's go. On, for the review part of this podcast, on Saturday, September 1st, over Labor Day weekend, Facebook Watch televised Ryan Garcia beating Carlos Morales by majority decision Really solid undercard action fight here with Nico Macias putting on a TV friendly fight in a win over Marvin Cabrera. At the time I'm recording this, there are 2.5 million views on Facebook Watch for this. I watched it live, and Facebook Watch has a stream count of how many people are currently watching. It was up around 60 to 65K in terms of a peak, at least from what I saw. There's a lot to say about what Facebook Watch is doing here with Golden Boy, but I think the right thing to do is give this about four or five fights before we really get into what's happening. Specifically for this fight, we learned a lot about Ryan Garcia and what he needs to do in a boxing gym between fights. And I'll, for the most part, leave that to people who are matchmakers to comment on. From my standpoint, I love the fan base Garcia has developed thus far, and he has elite hand speed. He's still very young, and there's a long way to go, but this is where careers can get stalled or end early, and you have to look at some warning signs here. Golden Boy clearly has a lot to gain if Garcia comes through, and some network exec out there will eventually take a big gamble on him. That much is is true just with his he's got like a million instagram followers the potential gains with him are just too high to ignore now is that does he have that many instagram followers the kid gets people to either love him or hate him and that's exactly what you want out of a fighter but any marketing exec worth their salt will also look at how winded he was what his issues were in taking some of morales's punches some of the infight strategy was happening and they're going to press pause if they're good this is an issue that any ticket seller or social media press sort of darling faces when they need to get good enough to justify their lofty status and then there's the facebook watch component to this as well because Garcia has over a million Instagram followers and Facebook owns Instagram like literally Facebook owns it But somehow, the Jojo Diaz fight from earlier in August is well over 4 million views right now, and we aren't close to that at all with Garcia. I'll give him a little bit of a pass because it was Labor Day weekend, but both Golden Boy and Facebook need to leverage that following and help translate it into more viewers. You'd have thought the viewership for someone like Garcia would go up, and to a marketer, that's probably more concerning actually than his actual performance because he's talented enough that a really good matchmaker or manager should be able to take the proper steps to make sure that letdowns like this don't happen again there are several blueprints for this where you get him in with the right trainer, get better sparring, keep the kid active all that kind of stuff. There's people out there that are a lot better at me than telling you this the bottom line though is a million Instagram followers does not automatically translate into Facebook Watch viewership. You know, it also doesn't translate into TV viewership on regular television or subscribers to a streaming service. You know, even look like this isn't a great comp, but look at fighters like Adrian Broner who I've talked about before on this podcast. Broner certainly has some talent, but not enough to be considered like an A-level fighter in my opinion he absolutely delivers a tv audience though which is why he'll never have a shortage of opportunities no matter what his string of results end up ends up being garcia he might even be in terms of pure talent as talented as broner but he might never approach broner's level as a fighter and i've said before i don't think broner's at the a level broner's tough as nails And, you know, we're going to need to see more of that from Garcia in the future. To be clear, though, while there is surely some cause for concern, we're not at DEFCON 4 or 5 yet. A performance like this could end up being a really good thing for Garcia in his long-term future if he responds in a really positive way. Enough on that, though. Let's move on to Saturday, September 8th. Lots of action here. Before we even get into ratings I think it just it it should be said that this was a really quiet night overall in terms of TV viewership. ESPN they they were they won the night with the Clemson Texas A&M football game and that had just under 4.5 million total viewers which if we're being honest with ourselves isn't a great college football viewership number. As for boxing, Let's start with the HBO card, which merits a really close look here. We had Juan Francisco Estrado winning by unanimous decision over Felipe Orocuta, Donnie Nietes and Aston Paliste fighting to a draw, and then Kazuto Ioka with a convincing unanimous decision over McWilliams Arroyo. The ratings for TV actually broke this up into three separate programs which was a lot, and the highest scoring fight, which was that Nietes fight that averaged 349,000 viewers, peaking at 421,000, and then the main event drops dramatically to an average of 298,000 viewers, and then the opener averages 310,000 viewers. I give you all this information. This might be the most embarrassing TV rating that HBO has ever gotten for, for boxing. I want to provide some context here for this. The lead-in movie for, from HBO, and if, if I'm sure most of you are aware of this, HBO always does a Saturday night movie. I think it usually starts at 8 o'clock, and that's the lead-in for whatever boxing that's going to come on that night. So the lead-in movie was The Greatest Showman, which did over 1.1 million viewers. So essentially, HBO dropped somewhere around, like, 70% of its total audience, which is just really bad. It's just, uh, there's just no other way to say it. It's just really bad. The highest-rated portion of the show, The Nietas Fight, on its own was the 84th best-rated cable show of the night, which, just so you know, in terms of rating and this isn't total viewers, this is rating, it didn't even beat the UFC pre-fight show on FX, which was the 66th ranked cable show of the night. Now, granted, that only got 271,000 viewers, but it did a higher rating, which is just due to less people watching TV when it came on. This isn't the preliminary card that was on FX. This is the pre-fight show. This is a studio show on FX, which normally the UFC stuff comes on Fox Sports 1, so they did, they changed the channel to FX because of college football. The actual UFC pay-per-view prelim show was the 17th rated show of the night. It did 560,000 viewers. And just... For a little bit more context, I think six or seven of the top ten shows were college football related. Just so you know the landscape, but this is a doozy for HBO. I mean, this is embarrassing, and usually the week before a pay-per-view fight, HBO is putting on a super strong card. Um, More on this later as it applies to promoting a pay-per-view fight. Showtime had a very strong card that night, where Sean Porter defeated Danny Garcia by close unanimous decision. That fight itself averaged 619,000 viewers, peaking at 690,000 viewers, and that fight itself was the 16th best cable show of the night. In the first two cards, two fights on the card, Jordanis Ugas beat Cesar Nuevo in a snoozer of a fight that averaged 447,000 viewers, and then Adam Karnowski beats Charles Martin in the opener, and that averages 395,000 viewers. In the context of the night, all of this is actually a pretty good rating for Showtime, though I do wonder exactly why they felt the need to have this card on September 8th. HBO was always going to have a card on that date, and Showtime could have done a card pretty much... Any other date in the fall, especially before college football really kicks in, which is more October, November, you know, I'm not sure there's another high level card on Showtime this entire fall. And we know that HBO does not have a busy schedule this fall. So Showtime didn't have to compete with HBO. Um, The other thing is that HBO viewership dropped from the second fight to the main event. That really just tells you that everyone changed the channel to Showtime for the main event. It was clearly the best fight of the night. Even more importantly, though, and I'll get more into this later, this date for Showtime never should have existed. If HBO really wanted to heavily promote its pay-per-view, it would have put a much stronger fight on September 8th. It would have never given Showtime a chance. Back to the Showtime card. As for what this means in the future of welterweights on Showtime, again, we're going to have to wait a while for that because I want Errol Spence to fight Sean Porter. I want Errol Spence not to fight Mikey Garcia. I want Errol Spence versus Sean Porter to be on regular Showtime, not Showtime pay-per-view, in Q1 of next year. Um, but there's just not much more to talk about because Showtime's not going to have, I believe, any more fights this year, at least, on in terms of Showtime Championship Boxing. All right. Before we get into the deep dive this week, there are a couple of news and notes. These aren't even the stuff that's happening during Fight Week. These are just some really interesting things that I want to talk about. On Friday last week, there was a major announcement that Alexander Usyk is signing with Eddie Hearn and Matroom. In the episode of this podcast I did on the World Boxing Super Series, we talked about how it made Usyk a star and that he had options after the tournament and what that meant for the World Boxing Super Series. But let's look at how this signing affects the boxing landscape because I think this is a big deal for a couple reasons. First, we get that Usyk-Bellu fight, which I'm sure will take place in the UK. I'm sure it'll be a big money fight. It's a pretty decent fight for Eddie Hearn to make. I mean, Usyk's clearly going to be the favorite here, but it's a great way to build a star power in the UK. I'm interested in watching it, um, especially if it's just on in the afternoon here. And Usyk on the whole, especially if he wins that fight, He offers a lot of flexibility for Hearn and DeZone. They can put him in another big fight in the U.S. against, like, an Andre Ward if Ward wanted to come out of retirement. That would have pound-for-pound implications at the very top, and they can, you know, they could try to build up the cruiserweight division for DeZone. You know, the World Boxing Super Series is doing more cruiserweight in its second season, I know those aren't all Eddie Hearn fighters, but... Uh, it is on the on televised on the zone, or they could have Usyk move up to heavyweight, which seems like a great move. They already have a lot of the top talent there, and that's where I think this really changes things for U.S. viewers, because now Eddie Hearn has almost every significant opponent for Deontay Wilder that's out there. To be perfectly honest, and I know others have said or written this, it's a little concerning that Wilder Fury, that fight hasn't been signed and officially announced. Now, I know Tim Smith came on Kurt Emeloff's podcast. I got a chance to listen to that. It's a fantastic listen to get some of the PPC strategy, and I know he indicated that we'd probably be hearing something soon on that. But I've been upfront front about this. I don't think Fury is ever going to be a guarantee to actually get in the ring and fight Wilder. Um, I always thought he would sign on the dotted line, though, and we haven't even seen that yet. Uh, if you're Showtime, Al Heyman, and Lou DiBella, I think you have to be a little concerned here. I'm going back to the signing of Usyk now. And I'm I'm not talking about... The Fury fight, when I say this. Like, I'm, I'm talking about the Usyk signing. Eddie Hearn has essentially taken away all of your leverage. This fall, you could have said to Eddie, you know what? We can fight Fury, Usyk... Or, sorry, this, this fall, you could have said to Deontay, we could fight Fury, we could fight Usyk, we could... One or two fights later, fight Luis Ortiz for a rematch. Um, And that's enough legit opponents that while fight fans want to see Deontay Wilder fight Anthony Joshua, those are still real fights for Wilder, and you can wait till you get the right deal to fight AJ. Now, you've got Usyk gone. You can't really have an immediate Ortiz rematch, and Fury still... Let's just say unstable, unstable is the wrong word. Un, he's not dependable. Like, you got to be a little nervous. Hearn could even try to get Fury to take Anthony Joshua's slot in the spring, you know, if he really wanted to. All this means, if you're Wilder, it puts a lot of pressure on your side to take the Anthony Joshua fight sooner and probably more importantly, on lesser terms than you're going to want to do. You know, No one at Showtime wants to hear this, but Eddie Hearn has enough leverage to dictate the terms of an inevitable Anthony Joshua Wilder matchup, and that means the first one is likely to happen in the UK and on DAZN instead of Showtime. It may mean that Wilder ends up fighting several of his next fights on DAZN just because of the money and the level of fights available to him. And that's not good. But on to better news for the PBC. Let's take a look at the PBC deal with Fox, which The Ring, I think Mike Coppinger was The Ring reporter who reported this. It is said to be worth over $60 million a year for 10 fights on Big Fox and at least 12 shows on FS1. Look, I've talked about this at length on this show starting back in the WWE episode where Fox has clearly changed their entire programming strategy. Back then, I had no idea that these negotiations were happening. You know, there was a question about it in the last episode. I don't want to cover too much of the same ground here, but now we actually have some details. And the point I want to make here with Fox is that the deal might actually have the highest variance out of every single TV deal out there, which is kind of crazy to say. If Fox, and this is Big Fox we're talking about here, that is available to essentially every single person in the United States for free, if Fox succeeds with this strategy to focus on live programming and they become the hub for NFL football on Thursdays, SmackDown WWE on Fridays, and then college football and boxing and whatever other live program on Saturday nights, and you got the MLB postseason 2 as well in the fall. If that succeeds, then boxing on Fox is probably going to do really, really well. I know that's a lot of ifs, and I didn't say the other big if, which is that the PBC has to match their guys tough. But overall, I mean, this will be the largest audience out there for the fighters, it's really good license fees. I'm not going to go in, into in-depth ratings for Fox like I did for ESPN. But this has a chance to put the sport in front of casual eyeballs like no other option. There's still several problems with this. You know, number one, we've talked about this before, like we've seen this movie. And I said it last episode, but the PVC has yet to prove to viewers that it's going to put on consistently well-matched fights and build big-time events. The time buy didn't do that at all, and it got, you know, abysmal ratings on Big Fox. The other problem here is now that we're not in a time buy, the bar is going to be set higher now that Fox is paying this kind of money. It's no longer going to be good enough to do 1.5 million viewers on a Saturday night. I mean, that's like Cops reruns, like, numbers. This is going to need to do... 2.5 or 3 million viewers or more to be viewed as a success. Remember, this won't just be about winning the night anymore because other big networks are are also putting up shows. This needs to win convincingly. The UFC shows on Fox weren't hitting that 2.5 to 3 million threshold for viewerships towards the end of the deal and you know, granted that was only four times a year, but that contract didn't get renewed by Fox. I'm a bit less optimistic about it, if you ask me right now, because I know that Al Heyman as a matchmaker isn't nearly as good as Al Heyman as a manager, but I'll be the first to admit that this has by far the highest variance of all the boxing deals that are signed out there. In three years, this could be easily the biggest success in terms of a platform, or Fox could just be playing out the string. Either way, congrats to the PBC for getting this deal. I hope they put on a big product. On to the final piece of news. The Showtime PBC announced deal that goes for three years. Look, this was a weird announcement to hear because all of you are probably thinking yourselves, isn't the PBC already providing Showtime all of its content? Why did they formalize this agreement for three years? Like, this is like a weird... Like Truman Show, kind of thing, to be perfectly honest, if you're a boxing hardcore fan. To me, there's really two likely reasons we heard about this deal. One, I found the timing of it particularly interesting. Obviously, they announced this right before the PBC on Fox deal, which was probably done to emphasize the notion that, you know, PBC fighters that you're used to seeing on Showtime probably aren't going anywhere. Like, don't pull the plug on your subscription to Showtime. Boxing is definitely not going away. They're still going to lead the pack. They had a great 2018. You know, there's some real merit to this. I, you know, I understand it. I used to work in the industry. I mean, I have a podcast explaining all this stuff to you guys, and my head is spinning with all of these crazy announcements that have happened in the last few weeks. So imagine casual fans. Like, they're going to have so many options, they won't even know what to do with it. The cynic in me, though, and look, just working in Hollywood and the boxing industry will have your sort of cynic, spidey senses as alert as ever. And the cynic in me knows what happens in scenarios that Showtime is going through right now on a corporate level. This Les Moonvis situation, and I talked about this earlier today on Gabe Montoya's show, this Les Moonves situation is the most dangerous thing that Showtime boxing will face in the coming years. And now Espinoza has at least three contractual years to make sure that boxing isn't going anywhere at Showtime. That's assuming a lot of things. That's assuming this deal is ironclad, which we really don't know. Les Moonvis was a big boxing fan. And I'm certainly not going to talk about any of the allegations made against him. If any of you are interested in that, I highly encourage you to read either New Yorker piece written by Ronan Farrow on Les Moonves, but either way, Les Moonves is out, and he was the most powerful executive in the entertainment industry, period. Like, period, end of story. I don't think there was an entertainment exec out there who maintained such high viewership and such high levels of profit at the corporate level for as long as he did. What brings Showtime Boxing into question is that there's almost no chance that Les Moonvis's replacement will be as big of a boxing fan as Les Moonvis was. And there's a pretty good chance that his replacement might not care about the sport at all. If you want to hear about what it's like to not have a corporate commitment at the highest level for boxing go talk to any of my former colleagues at HBO right now so I don't know whether Espinosa pushed this through to combat the Fox narrative or whether he was fearful of what might come next in what is surely to be a contentious corporate battle for CBS's future I mean, who knows what the priority is going to be who knows if it's all these reasons and espinoza just got it done we don't know how ironclad it is maybe it's toothless maybe it's guaranteed dollars that are going to showtime's boxing budget for the next three years we're entering a new paradigm though and i never thought that i'd say this a year ago when i left hbo but hbo and showtime might actually be the two most vulnerable boxing broadcasters in the marketplace right now there will be future episodes to go into much greater detail on this, but we're looking at real-world scenarios where both of them aren't broadcasting boxing in, in 2020. Maybe even one of them not broadcasting boxing in, in 2019. Just with Showtime, I mean, the, the inner corporate rivalries, there's the Sherry Redstone stuff. If anyone in power wants to take apart aspects of the Les Moonvis Empire that can't be backed up with big-time financials, I guarantee you boxing on Showtime is one of the items that's going to be put on the table. I hope. I think has done a great job there. I hope this is an ironclad deal. And he's got three years to prove himself. All right. That was, quite frankly, a lot more in-depth on the news than I thought I would do. Let's jump back into Canelo Triple G2. I want to grade the promotion of this fight from an overall sense. So remember, Canelo Triple G1 happened a year ago. It did somewhere between 1.2 and 1.4 million pay per view buys, depending on who reported it. Let's just call it 1.3 million for simplicity's sake. And then in February, Canelo tested positive and all this drama started. There's a couple major points I just want to knock out right off the bat. Most rematches don't do as well as the first fight on pay-per-view. There's usually some atrophy for a variety of reasons, but this fight was actually expected to be one of the exceptions to the rule the first fight missed out on quite a few pay-per-view buys because last year there was flooding in several major markets, notably Houston, which is a big pay-per-view market for a Mexican fighter like Canelo and just a very solid fight town in general. Second, the controversy caused by the drug test failures by Canelo and the postponement of the fight, that was big time publicity for the fight. Third, There's a strong argument that Mayweather-McGregor, happening so close to the first one, actually hurt buys. You know, I think there is some merit to that, but I actually think the casual fans found that Mayweather-McGregor fight TV friendly, so I don't buy into the argument quite as much. I think it is worth mentioning, though. Regardless, this fight was absolutely in great position to top that initial number of 1.3 million pay-per-view buys. Quite frankly, I think the perception was that this should be in the minimum 1.5 range, if it broke through, it could hit that 2 million pay-per-view buy mark, which is rare. That's you know rare air for pay-per-views. Like those numbers aren't crazy in terms of expectations, but several major things need to break the way right way for. HBO and and Golden Boy and K two or well and Tom Lawford to hit those numbers and as it stands I just don't see those things happening. The first missed opportunity I saw was that the momentum in the press just hasn't carried over from the craziness of that March through May period where the news of the drug test leaked and Canelo got a suspension, effectively moving the fight. There was so much discussion in the media about the fight. Even through Triple G's KO win on that Cinco de Mayo card, no one was really expecting that the PR folks at HBO and, and, and the other companies would be able to keep up like this constant drumbeat throughout the whole summer. And to be honest, this summer has bombarded the boxing industry with an unprecedented number of stories that you could have never anticipated. We didn't even know what DAZN was back in April, and the kind of money that's just sort of been flowing into the sport, wasn't there. You know, it felt like it was going to be a decent but not outstanding year overall in the sport. And now there's like legitimately five homes for boxing, all with impressive budgets for the sport. But back in April, there were only three. I think the overall takeaway is we learned something in the pay-per-view industry from that Mayweather-McGregor fight last year. The month of August used to be a dead sports month in terms of people actually watching sports on TV. Baseball is the only major sport in season, and it's truly in the boring dregs of the season there. I mean, preseason football has started, but there's an opportunity to take something that is already big and make it the talking point for mainstream sports during this period. No one is saying that we need to move a big fight like this off of Mexican Independence Day weekend, but how do we get talk about any fight that's going to do over 1.5 million pay-per-view buys during the month of August? Because once the NFL season starts, that takes all the air out of the room. That dominates everything. And the promotion tried to do a little of this. like They had that TMZ element, You know, the Golden Boy put out there where the fighters hate each other and all that kind of stuff. It really felt contrived to me. And and I'll be honest, that commercial spot with Canelo and Triple G was probably shot back in February before the controversy even started. And they just never changed anything. Like, those shoots are expensive. Golden Boy didn't have a lot of HBO cards. There's only one pay-per-view Canelo fight this year. So I doubt they cared to reshoot that commercial spot. Also, more importantly, we would have heard about the fighters being in the same room for this during the summer because, you know, after the May thing, they hated each other, and that would have actually caused real controversy, but they clearly weren't in the same room. Even, let's, let's take this a step further. Let's look at the HBO programming schedule. They only aired one fight at the beginning of August. That was the Kovalev fight, Kovalev Elite or Alvarez. And then they had a really low level fight that did a terrible rating on September 8th, one week before the pay per view. So there there was a 24 7, but the show hasn't created much buzz and the ratings for it haven't been great. They also had a fight game preview show for the fight, but that was only a 15-minute piece that most people had to actually seek out on the network. I think it's totally fair to question their programming strategy for all this, especially given that they're clearly going to air the Jacobs-Derevchenko fight later this fall. The traditional way to build up a big pay-per-view is to offer escalating levels of of fights on a long lead as you build anticipation. After all, the best marketing of a pay-per-view fight is to talk about it organically during another live fight on the network that people care about watching. The best recent example of this is back in 2015 when HBO had a much bigger programming budget. In the buildup to Mayweather Pacquiao, HBO aired Matisse Provodnikov two weeks out then aired Klitschko Jennings one week out. Then the week after the pay-per-view from Mayweather Pacquiao aired, they aired the replay of it along with Canelo Kirkland. Even though there wasn't a 24-7 from Mayweather Pacquiao, this template works really well. You have a hardcore fight fan special two or three weeks out that really whets the appetite and then builds to a really big, network fight with a legit star that will attract mainstream mainstream media attention. HBO did a pretty big campaign for that Klitschko fight and more importantly both boxing and mainstream media were interested in it and obviously part of the narrative is that one week later you'll have this huge pay-per-view fight. And then the week after the pay-per-view fight you are essentially offering one of your top up-and-comers And maybe Canelo was truly past that stage uh, when when he took the Kirkland fight. But if you look back, this is a common theme for all pay-per-view fights. You combine the replay of the pay-per-view, which still gets a pretty good rating, with a live fight for that up-and-comer. This strategy also boosts numbers for any shows like 24-7 or other shoulder programming, which naturally helps sell the pay-per-view. It's not a shocker that the likeliest candidates to watch the shows like that are already tuned in to the live fight. There are other benefits of doing it like this. From a marketing perspective, if you run a campaign for a big network fight leading up to a pay-per-view, you can use digital targeting, you can use that information to your advantage from the big network fight and for the actual pay-per-view. You can retarget and it actually works really, really well. You can also buy media in bulk for multiple fights and you get better rates for the TV spots and digital buys that way. From a PR perspective, as I mentioned above, you have both boxing and mainstream sports writers doing stories in of the sport in the lead up to it, and you can push your narrative since all the fights are on your network. But going back to the ratings that the fight on HBO did from this past weekend, the really bad Part about all of this that I touched on earlier is that HBO shouldn't have ever let Showtime put on that Garcia-Porter fight. They should have put on the Danny Jacobs-Darevchenko fight in New York, planted their flag, and actually tried to get a really strong rating for it on Saturday. Especially knowing that Canelo and Triple G are both free agents, which was new news in the past couple days, and assuming you want to do everything you can to boost pay-per-view sales and keep these guys in the fold, You've got to pull out every stop. This also sets up a big fight for the winner. Another aspect of the fight that deserves criticism is that $85 for a fight is plain and simple too much money. I don't say this from the perspective that a lot of boxing fans had on Mayweather Pacquiao, where they said it was hurting the sport to charge $100 for a fight that left casual fans completely frustrated and likely never to purchase a fight again. Every casual sports fan, not casual boxing, but casual sports fan, knew who Mayweather and Pacquiao were and had known about him for years. Canelo and Triple G just don't have that kind of awareness yet, and the difference between 1.3 million pay-per-view buys and 2 million buys is casual sports fan, Not casual boxing fans, but casual sports fans. $85 is a lot of money for people who may only watch boxing once or twice a year. I think it's too much money, and the undercard that you get with it just isn't worth it. Like, those people aren't going to care. All of these points highlight what I think has been an overall fight promotion that's missed a lot of opportunities. Even the start of fight week with Austria getting back on TMZ and talk about running for president, that is not just bonkers. It's a lack of discipline in the promotion. There's usually one solid message of what this big pay-per-view fight is going to be from top to bottom, and everyone sticks to that messaging in every communication that happens. Any kind of print, radio, TV interviews, any dealings with distributors in the cable or OTT ecosystem, there's usually what's called a copy block that gets distributed internally from the marketing team for the fight that makes it very easy because as the marketing extends outward to people who don't know boxing that well the message that goes out sticks it stays the same it drives people crazy when you stray too far from that message though and you know just with Oscar miss it's it's when Oscar talks about other stuff like running for president and then misses the press conference i can't even remember if he missed it on tuesday or wednesday for getting sick, it's just not a good look. You want to stay on one message all of Fight Week and in the build up to it. There's a lot of places, like even for instance, here's an example. If you have cable and you turn on your cable system and they're offering up the fight, the description that you'll read about the fight started out as a copy block written probably by me or one of my colleagues in the marketing department for HBO Sports basically. It will go through another marketing executive at HBO who deals with whatever your cable provider is, but the original message came from someone who actually knows the sport. Here's the crazy thing about all this. You can make all these mistakes. You can screw up all this stuff. But if you nail the last three days of Fight Week, you're going to do okay on pay-per-view sales. Maybe not as well as you would have done, but everyone's going to be fine. Wednesday through Saturday of fight week is when the media buys start in earnest. Like you'll see 80 to 90% of the TV spots for the fight run in this time window. And this is when like the FOMO, like the fear of missing out element of marketing, truly kicks in. It's when you'll get bombarded with mobile ads. It's when the PR is really in high gear. You'll see First Take and Sports Center and other shows like that covering the event. The true boxing hardcore audience is very important for fights like this, but they aren't going to make the difference once you hit 500,000 pay per view buys. For lesser fights, they matter tremendously because there you're really, it's your only potential audience for those fights are the fighters' built in fan base plus the hardcore fans. Once you're past 500,000 pay per view buys, though, Your battle isn't with core fans. It's with casual boxing fans and then ultimately casual sports fans. You still need core fans to spread the word and be brand ambassadors. They're the ones who are going to tell their friends that this is the one to order. They might even host a fight party. They're going to get excited about the fight and help create buzz for casuals. But that only goes so far, and the media behind the PR brand really need to do the heavy lifting at a certain point. And unfortunately for the timing of this, I'm recording this on Thursday night and I really, we have got to put this out on Friday. I can't put this out on Saturday morning. So I can't tell you how successful the media plan is. I can tell you I've been targeted on social, but I haven't watched a lot of TV this week yet. So I can't really tell you that. Given how much I've worked with both sides though, I'm confident that both promoters and HBO will do a good job here for this part, you know. At the same time, given the amount of missed opportunities that we've seen so far with this promotion, I can't guarantee that. But I don't see a world, no matter how good of a rollout, I don't see a world where HBO and Golden Boy and Tom are hitting some of those larger numbers that have been mentioned. I think this is likely, this feels like it's going to be in that one3 1.4 million by range, which to me is disappointing. I think 1.5 would be good. I think 1.8 would would be great for a fight like this. But if they truly nailed every part of the promotion, 1.5 million is your floor. 2 million is your your, your ceiling. Like 2 million is what you're aiming for. It's ambitious, but it's doable. And we're just not going to see that number this time around. So I'm recording this on Thursday night instead of Wednesday night for a reason, and that's because of the news that both Triple G and Canelo are free agents after this fight. A lot of craziness came out on Wednesday. You know, Oscar missing the press conferences is drama, but this news of the free agency stuff is really big, because HBO right now and I was going to save a lot of this for my year review of HBO, which I would was planning on being my next show. HBO's coming right up on that internal moment where every department is going to get their 2019 budget soon. That's happening in the next couple of weeks, and in some ways, with this triple G and Canelo stuff, that doesn't actually affect the HBO budget because they probably aren't fighting on linear HBO. They're pay-per-view fighters at this point. But HBO will need to sign them to a massive contract and then get a lot of other 160-pounders to sign up, including Danny Jacobs, who I believe has his deal up either next fight, which is scheduled for October, or the one after. And then he's probably likely headed to zone. He's with Eddie Hearn. For HBO, that will mean their budget will have to go back to where it was a few years ago if they're going to compete. So we'll we'll know very soon what AT&T's plans are for HBO Boxing. I mean, I don't think HBO Sports is going anywhere, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that HBO Boxing could be gone. And this isn't because the Kovalev fight looks like it's headed to ESPN. Budgets are made year by year. And until that 2019 budget comes out, there was nothing HBO could do about the Kovalev fight. Everybody knew that 2018 would be tough when budgets came out. That was never going to change. It's not like there's been some downhill slope that HBO has gone on this year. I mean, they they scheduled out the year knowing what their budget was at the beginning of the year it's really why HBO couldn't bid for the Kovalev fight and quite frankly it's why Showtime is having to do the Wilder Fury fight on pay-per-view and push the Spence Garcia potential fight off until hopefully never but you know at the very least the beginning of next year but we're in a different world now if HBO can't sign both fighters But certainly if they can't sign the winner of the fight this weekend, it's likely a sign that they could be out of the boxing business. Like, this really could be the end of an era, and that's why I think this weekend will truly be about legacy for HBO and both fighters. I want to emphasize here, while while I have recognized HBO's lack of commitment to the sport this year, I've always thought that they would stay in it, at least for another year or so, for a variety of reasons, including the fact that DirecTV makes a lot of money on these HBO pay-per-view fights. DirecTV is owned by AT&T as well. If you want to be in that business, you need to make a commitment to the sport. Also, between all the Turner sport properties, remember, Time Warner owns Turner, like NBA on TNT, like Bleacher Report there is a lot of audience crossover and it would be a shame just to end something without at least experimenting a little bit on how you could take the HBO boxing brand and sell ads against it or make it cost neutral through a creative distribution deal across some several properties. But with Triple G and, and Canelo and I guess Danny Jacobs too, with those deals all ending around at the same time with very few upcoming scheduled fights, and, you know, when you add in the, the the Kovalev-Alvarez rematch going to HBO, I mean, or going to ESPN, that speaks volumes. You know, also, given that Peter Nelson isn't out there giving a stump speech, telling people not to worry, like, that's getting me worried. But we're not, even, we're not at the point where we're writing obituary yet. If AT&T decides that they like the live sports business, HBO will be back, and they'll have a pretty big checkbook. I'm not going to say it's as big as anybody, but it's going to be big. And although, obviously, there are very few people that they can go out and sign right now, you know, we're not writing that obituary yet. The signs aren't promising, and we'll know soon. We're not writing it yet. Okay. Let's take a look at both fighter scenarios right now and what I'd do if I was managing them. Triple G is pretty easy. Win or lose, I think you're gone. Loyalty is the only thing holding you at HBO at this point. And because Triple G has pending sort of money and legacy issues to think about after this fight... I mean, if he wins, he'll want to unify the titles very soon. And he'd have some work to do. B.J. Saunders has the WBO title, and he's fighting Andrade on DeZone in October. You also have to assume that DAZN will eventually get Danny Jacobs when he's done with his HBO contract. And that's, of course, assuming he beats his stablemate. You know, there's also that Murata fight, which could be on ESPN. You know, remember ESPN tried to get the Triple G bonus fight from May, but DAZN offers him a chance to unify everything, potentially, and Triple G would be an automatic subscriber machine for DAZN. If you don't have to pay for pay-per-view to get him in those fights, you'll have a lot of people who are totally in on that. Remember, DAZN isn't planning on doing pay-per-view fights. They're basically saying... You sign up for $10 a month, and you get everything. Now, all that would cost Eddie Hearn quite a bit of money, but he has a huge war chest, and I think it would be worth it. Triple G on his own carrying those fights on pay-per-view, he would it, it, it would do well, but it wouldn't be automatic huge pay-per-views, even if he wins. And this is I'm saying if he's not on his own. If he was fighting on HBO or ESPN or Fox pay-per-view, He's not an automatic huge seller on that. Like, he's probably good, but not auto- automatic at that million mark. Triple G also has worldwide appeal, so I think that in and of itself is worth it for DAZN to pay up. You know, you'd have to think Triple G would be a big sub-driver both in the United States and then wherever else DAZN is using Eddie Hearn's boxing content. He has also he, he fights overseas quite a bit. Now, if Triple G loses, I think that Murata fight on ESPN makes a lot more sense, especially in the short term, but win or lose Triple G would be a huge get for DAZN or ESPN. I think the bigger fights for him are on DAZN at the moment right now, but he'd still be great for ESPN. Canal is a tougher case. His bread and butter is still pay-per-view, and Showtime is the only place that actually could put him on pay-per-view in this scenario, really. Steven Espinoza also used to be Golden Boy's lawyer, so that relationship is already established there. Yes, I mean, ESPN and Fox have talked about doing pay-per-views, but do you want to be in the experimental business with those places, or do you want to actually go to the places that are tested, like Showtime? If Canelo wins against Triple G, his next fight is surely pay per view. It probably does at least a million buys against any relevant opponent out there. How could you not go with Showtime under that scenario? They're experienced. You've fought there before on pay-per-view. If Canelo loses, though, and is open to taking some, some lesser paydays and he'd have to be willing to do that, wow, he could rebuild his brand. you got to consider Fox or ESPN to do that. He would be a huge get to do a fight on regular ESPN for like next Cinco de Mayo. You could do that in in conjunction with an NBA playoff game. Then you could do a show on ESPN Plus later in the year to drive subscribership. That'd be huge for them. The issue with all this isn't just Canelo, though, because as we talked about in the last episode, Golden Boy is a deal already with ESPN. And if you're signing up Canelo, you're signing up Golden Boy and everything that comes with it, both good and bad. They'll want dates, they'll want branding, they'll want everything that Top Rank and the PVC already get. Ultimately, I think the whole thing will be fascinating to watch, but I think it does depend on who wins and loses to, as to the right landing spots for all of them. All right, on to the preview section. You've heard my take on the marketing and PR rollout for this, but obviously Canelo and Triple G are fighting on Saturday the 15th, and there's a great undercard for the fight. But before we even get to that, ESPN has a golden boy card on Thursday. Like I said in the beginning, it's actually already happened. Ruslan Maria versus Pablo Cesar Cano. And then Top Rank has a Friday card on ESPN. Featuring Jose Ramirez versus Antonio Orozco for Ramirez's WBC junior welterweight title. I'm going to be paying close attention to the ratings for both of these cards. This is a lot of boxing in a short period of time right at the start of football season. We'll see competition from an NFL game on Thursday night. There'll be college football both on Friday and Saturday nights. I'm very curious to see how all this sustains itself in a competitive environment. The optimist in me thinks that especially on Friday night, that show could get a halo effect from all the boxing talk that will inevitably happen in the mainstream media. But we're also right on the verge of overkill here, especially for the casual fans. As for odds, Madiev is about a 15-to-1 favorite over Cano, and Ramirez is like a 4-5-to-1 or favorite over Orozco, although I actually think the odds should probably be closer for that Ramirez-Orozco fight. Especially if Orozco makes weight, which I think I saw he... Did already today. So as far as the big one, you've heard me talk about it. I don't normally give predictions on this podcast, but I think Triple G will win a close, uh, close unanimous decision for a couple reasons, including the knee surgery and the ring rust that Canelo will likely have. I thought Triple G won the last fight, although. I think there are three legitimate scorecards you could have, which are all perfectly acceptable, either 8-4, to 7-5 to five in rounds, or 6-6. Six to six. I think it draws a perfectly acceptable scorecard from the first fight. Triple G is actually a really good boxer. I know that that's not part of the narrative leading up to this, but he is really, he, he's a great boxer, he's got a great jab. If he can snipe a couple of those early rounds... Uh, especially with Canelo's timing off, I think he'll take a close one. You know, the undercard is very solid. It's probably not worth whatever difference it makes in making the fight 85 bucks, but I'm totally in on Lemieux and O'Sullivan. That's a classic action brawler fight where someone probably gets KO'd. I mean, the Munguia fight is a complete showcase, and Chocolatito probably should be, you know, that should be an easy one for him as well, but there's a lot of questions with his comeback. The star power alone on the pay-per-view card just makes the whole thing fun, you know. And and even with some of the mismatches, I mean, I'm always looking for a KO or two on a pay-per-view card with four fights. The odds are very close for all these fights, except Mungia. basically. Uh, Triple G and Canelo are well under 2-1. to one, and Triple G is a slight favorite. Lemieux is a slightly larger favorite, but you can still find it at under 2-1. to one. I think he's minus 175. Uh, or a little bit higher than two to one in certainly places, but that's really well matched. And Chocolatito is like eleven or twelve to one, but I think just with the amount of questions, like he obviously should win that fight, but with the amount of questions coming back from losses like that, uh, it's still compelling. And then Munguia is like fifty-one. I think that's fifty to one is a total squash match, but you know Mungia is fun to watch, so that that'll be fun either way. On Saturday, September 22nd, we have the U.S. debut of Zone. The main event has Anthony Joshua fighting Alexander Povetkin, with the undercar being Yvonne Mendy fighting Luke Campbell. Joshua is like a 10 or 12 to 1 favorite here against Povetkin, but I actually think Povetkin has a better shot at winning than those odds indicate. Joshua is the favorite. I expect him to win, but Vivekan's a good fighter. He's actually a fairly slick boxer. It's a pretty interesting test for Joshua on a lot of levels. Campbell is like a 3 or 4 to 1 favorite over Mendy. That one's pretty well matched. I mean, overall, I have so many questions, so many thoughts for what DAZN is doing. I think this is a great first card. These are all gonna have to wait till next time, though. Next time we'll review. We'll, let's see what's happening with HBO. I was planning on just doing a year review, but let's see what's happening there. Dizone, I think with all these new platforms, I don't. I'm not gonna judge them on their first card. I think Dizone, that first card in the US is actually really important as well. That's that's later. But let's I guess we'll just have to play this one by ear. I think there's so much interesting stuff that could be happening in the marketplace that we could be talking about in 2 weeks. September's a great time to be a fight fan. There was great fights last weekend. There's great fights this weekend. I know you got to pay a lot of money for it, but you know, these guys it's it's good for fighters like this to make good money. It really is. It's great for casual fans to be involved. This is kind of the moment for it. Enjoy the fights. I'm out on social media for this stuff. Uh, It's a a lot of fun. Feel free to just ask me any questions. And I love hearing from you guys on email. And and just, I love watching the fights. These are the ones that get me excited. I, I think we won't get them this good in October and November. So enjoy them now. This is a great month for it. All right, guys. I will talk to you in two weeks. Take care, goodbye. Did you get what you was looking for?